Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. Well, have you ever driven down the wrong road? No, 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 no. Have you ever driven down the wrong road for a long time? <laughs> oh, man, I see elbows being thrown in several places in the room. All right. Have you ever driven down the road for a really long time? I remember a time I was, I don't know, I may have still been in college or just after college, just kind of right around that period. Now, these are the before times, so GPS on phones was not yet a thing. I think GPSs were probably around then, but they were like expensive, right? And, and uh, so not very many people had them. So, but I knew where I was going, that's all right. And it was my first time taking a road trip by myself. You know, I'd gone on trips with my parents, of course, growing up. But this is, uh, uh, I believe, the very first time I did one on my own. And I was ready. As a music lover, I had my little booklet, you know, that you could put CDs in to take on a trip, and I had them stacked up. Like, I, I knew which order I was going to listen to all my CDs in, and when one, one was over, you know, I'd take the CD out, put the new CD in. The, I, I'm old. These are ancient times, right? And I was listening to my music, and it was a great trip, and I was jamming down the road, and then I started noticing signs for the wrong city. <laughs> Now, I'm, I don't want to, just for privacy's sake, I'm not being specific about the cities here, but I realized that I was supposed to have taken a turn, and I must have been into my music or something, but I was so enjoying myself and the listening and the driving that I missed the turn and had ended up in the next city along the road about an hour's down. <laughs> and so, uh, well, I did have an old, like a, a, a dumb phone, a, a cell phone, and I was able to call my friend and say I was going to be two hours late, but then I had to explain why. <laughs> so I have to ask it again. Have you ever driven down the wrong road for a really long time? And have you ever noticed that it isn't just with driving that this can happen? Have you ever tried to fix a problem? and realized that you followed the wrong path and then followed it some more before you realized that that wasn't how the problem was going to be fixed. We all do this occasionally. But Sabbath helps. You know, if you've been following closely our series on Sabbath, The Art of True Rest, then you might be a little confused by the title of today's sermon, Sabbath Justice. You see, the very first week of the, ser the, ser of the series, we talked about what is Sabbath. And it's, it's, you know, it's amazing how the simplest things are oftentimes the most profound and the most meaningful. A Sabbath is nothing but rest. That's all it means, taking a break. Yet, if we dive into it, if we take a break properly, if we rest rightly and fully, it changes everything. Most of us truly rest all too rarely, but when we do, it changes everything. But one way I tried to convince you of the value of Sabbath that first week was by talking about Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Now, Heschel was a major figure uh, in the 1960s especially. And if you've ever seen pictures of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, marching across the bridge in Selma, there's a rabbi in full vestments there with him. That's him. That's Rabbi Heschel. He was outspoken ab about uh, civil rights, marched with uh, King in Selma. He uh, campaigned in the war in Vietnam. He championed Soviet Jews. He was active politically in so many ways. But his daughter writes that when they, on the, on the Sabbath day in their home, 
they were not allowed to talk about those things because it was not appropriate. And that first week, I asked you all, can you imagine if you took one day a week where you didn't watch the news? Can you imagine if you took one day a week where you forbid yourself to pick up social media? Can you imagine how it would change your outlook on the other six days? That's the value of Sabbath, you see. But if that's true, then why are we now talking about justice work? Why are we now talking about Sabbath and justice? My favorite definition of justice is that it's setting the world right. It's setting the world the way God intends. We see things that aren't right. We see things that are out of order, that are not as God intends. And the work of justice is to set it back. Now, Sabbath itself is not about fixing the problems. Now, there's an occasional emergency, which, of course, we attend to. But Sabbath isn't about fixing the work. Sabbath is about remembering what the world is supposed to look like in the first place. If justice is like a jigsaw puzzle and each of us need to figure out where our piece goes in it, the Sabbath is about looking at the picture on the front of the box. There's a scripture in the Old Testament uh, that is not read often enough, I don't believe, and it comes directly from the idea of Sabbath. You know, the idea of Sabbath is as old as it comes in the Bible. It's even in the very creation, the story of creation, when God rests on the seventh day and then commands us to do the same. That's where the whole seventh day thing comes from, right? You always rest on the seventh day. But... As you go further along in the Old Testament, you get to the law. Now, the law is oftentimes a section where somebody, where people trying to read through the whole Bible kind of ground out because it's a little boring. I'll give you that. <laughs> what it is, is, is it's a way to structure an ancient society in a way that not only led to a good life, but also taught them something about God that cares for them. Uh, and you can't translate it directly today. Now, there are still people who observe every bit of it. You know, uh, Orthodox Jews, for instance, things like kosher eating. There's a spirit side to it, but back then there was also a practical side to it. You know, in the days before, before refrigeration, not eating pork made a whole lot of sense, right? Uh, but uh, there are other parts of it that wouldn't translate into today's world quite so well, but that teach us something about who God is and that teach us something about how God wants us to live our life, even if it doesn't translate word for word. Now, the scripture is oftentimes called Jubilee. My favorite translations doesn't use the word Jubilee, but if that helps any of you connect it, if you've studied it in the past, uh, I'll tell you that. And I'll also say that I planned this sermon about two or three months ago, long before I knew anything that was going to be coming out of the Supreme Court. So any parallels you draw to any recent rulings on student debt are on you, okay? Let's listen. Every seventh year, you must cancel all debts. Now, now, hang on a sec. Think about how striking that is. Think about how striking that is from our worldview and where we sit in history. I'm just going to read that first part again. Every seventh year, you must cancel all debts. This is how the cancellation is to be handled. Creditors will forgive the loans of their fellow Israelites. They won't demand repayment from their neighbors or their relatives because the Lord's year of debt cancellation has been announced. You want to talk biblical economics for a minute? 
<laughs> now, I'll say, this is one of those things that doesn't translate perfectly in today's world. You know, it was different when the, uh, the Hebrew people were kind of a closed system, and they had tribes and ways of arranging their land that are also part of the law. And really, this only makes sense in, uh, in the context of, of all of that together. But we can still learn something of it, of how God wants us to live today, right? About the spirit of generosity. Now, if you're like me, the first thing that you think of is, well, what happens if somebody asks you for a loan on the sixth year? <laughs> well, it just so happens the ancient law thought of that. <laughs> Let me continue on. Now, if there are some poor persons among you, say one of your fellow Israelites is in one of your cities in the land that the Lord your God has given you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your fellow Israelites. To the contrary, open your hand wide to them. You must generously lend them whatever they need, but watch yourself. Make sure no wicked thought crosses your mind, such as the seventh year is coming, the year of debt cancellation, so that you resent your poor fellow Israelites and don't give them anything. It's less worried about the things and more worried about the heart, right? Saying if you deny somebody who's in need because it's the sixth year of this cycle, you have become hard-hearted and this is on you because this is a matter of the soul. This is a matter of morality. This is a matter of what's right and about how you treat your neighbor. It says no, give generously to needy persons. Don't resent giving to them because it is the very thing that will lead to the Lord your God's blessing in all you do and work at. Poor persons will never disappear from the earth. That's why I'm giving you this command. You must open your hand generously to your fellow Israelites, to the needy among you, and to the poor who live with you in your land. Comes directly out of Sabbath, doesn't it? that every seven years you should look around and see what's right. Every seven years, at the very least, things should be set back to the way they're supposed to be. Sabbath reminds us how the world is supposed to be. You know, this story makes me, uh, uh, makes me think about one that Jesus told in the New Testament that also, I think, connects to Sabbath, at least, uh, at least from kind of a sideways glance. In fact, I think the main character of the story, one of the main characters, must have been somebody who practiced the Sabbath faithfully because we can see it in his actions. Now, the story's a bit long. You can read it yourself in Luke 15. I'm guessing a lot of you know it already. It goes like this. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. Now, in those days, the, the way of doing things would have been that the oldest son inherited the land and the father's uh, business. The younger son would have taken a share of the inheritance to go off and establish his own ranch or farm or whatever it might have been. So the, it was no surprise then when the younger son came to the father and said, give me my share of the inheritance. And so the father did. He divided things up between his sons, which one the older son would keep along with the land and all that, gave the, gave the younger son his share of it. And the younger son took it. Rather than staying nearby, he went to a land far away, and he squandered the money on wild living, as it is said in some translation, through extravagant living. And when he had used up all of the, all of the money and the resources, a famine came across the land. There wasn't enough food. He found himself not only poor and hungry, but he found himself 
betraying his own background. When he came to his senses, that's the phrase from the scripture, by the way, when he came to his senses, he realized that he'd be better off as a servant in his father's house. And so he decided to swallow his pride, to go back home, and to say, would you at least make me a servant? Because even that would be better than where I've ended up having squandered all the money in a faraway place. And so he goes back. The way I like to think of the story, it almost sounds like he's rehearsing what he's going to say to his father as he goes. But as he's coming down the road, what happens? The father sees him coming from far off, and he does something that is profoundly undignified, that would not have been done by someone in his position in those days. He got up and he ran out down the road to meet his son as soon as he realized he was there. His son tries to give him his little spiel, his apology, and well, you know, the sentiment's there, but he can barely get it out because the father is hugging him so much. And he says, bring him a robe and a ring. A ring is a signifier of being part of the family. So it's a way of saying, you're not going to be one of my servants. You are my son, and you always will be. And he hugs him, and he kisses him. Now, there's a man who Sabbathed. Yeah, I just made it a verb. There's a man who knows how to Sabbath. You see, he could have been worried about the money, and I am sure that it crossed his mind that he was saddened by the fact that so much wealth had just been wasted by his son's irresponsibility. But if you ask me, now I know I'm reading between the lines here, but if you ask me, it's because of Sabbath that the father had enough space in his life, had enough vision, had enough perspective to realize that the broken relationship was far more important than any wealth that had been wasted. Sabbath reminds us how the world is supposed to be, and it gives us the perspective to care about the right things. You know, I love that more people are fighting for justice in our world today than ever before. At least that's certainly how it looks from where I sit. To see movements trying to make things right, to see people speaking up uh, for, uh, for, for what is right and what needs, to, uh, what needs to be done in the world is great to see. But I'm going to be honest with you. I have a problem with the modern justice movement, too, and I hope I don't get myself in trouble with anyone here. I'll, I'll explain. By and large, they're caring about the right things. They are trying to address the right problems, whether it be LGBTQ plus rights and acceptance, uh, racial reconciliation, creation care uh, for climate change. All of these things are huge problems, and they're caring about the right things. But too many of us have lost our hope. Too many of us have lost our hope. You know, you listen to someone like Martin Luther King Jr., just to give one example, and there is always this sense that God is going to set things right. One of my favorite uh, uh, bits, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was actually quoting somebody else in saying that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. In other words, this is a long road, and, and it's going to seem like we're not making much progress. It's, gonna it's, gonna, it's always going to seem like we, we would like to be getting there faster than we do. So the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. It always moves toward justice because that's who God is, moving the world towards that perfect end. 
I also think of uh, King's final speech uh, before his assassination when he said, I have been to the mountaintop, uh, quoting Moses in the Old Testament, to say, I have seen the promised land. We can see in who God is that God is going to set things right, that God is making all things new, that God is rebuilding heaven and earth. And he says, I may not get there with you. Such a sad thing, amazing for him to say in his last speech before he was assassinated. But it didn't change his hope. I may not get there with you, but God is bringing you to the promised land of justice. Yet these days, in the fight today, it seems like the mentality people bring is that we're on their own and that if we don't fix it, all is lost. That's only partially true. There is a sense in which it's up to us. There is a sense in which our hands and feet are the chosen instruments, the chosen tools that God wants to use to fix the world. But we lose sight that God is making all things new, that it's God who's rebuilding heaven and earth, that God is going to see us to the so-called promised land. And so we should worry. We should have compassion for those who suffer. But we should not despair because we know that God's promises are good. And it's Sabbath that reminds us of this. Sabbath is what reminds us of how the world is supposed to be. Sabbath gives us the perspective so that we care about the right things. And Sabbath gives us hope that it's God who brings us in the end so that we do not need to despair. And so I want to ask you, what needs to be set right in your life? You know, I kind of think that's a better thought for the Sabbath than the big problems of the world. Those problems will still be there when we're back. But in this moment of Sabbath, I want to ask what's out of order in your world. You know, that first week we talked about uh, how community is part of Sabbath, spending times with those that we care about and those that enrich our lives. It'll open your eyes to a better way to hold yourself. Right relationship is an important part of justice. Is that something that needs to be improved for you? Is there something about your way of living that contributes too largely towards the harm of others? You know, one story that's haunted me ever since I read it was the story of John Woolman. He was a Quaker uh, in the uh, early days of America. I, I can't remember if it was the late 1600s or early 1700s. Uh, there aren't many Quakers who stand out. That's kind of part of Quakerism, but uh, this story is one that stuck with me. When he was young, he worked on a ship, you see. And he saw how poorly the sailors were treated. He saw how, they, how the sailors were oppressed. And the thing that the sailors were, uh, were uh, uh, transporting in their ships was dye for clothing. And so for the rest of his life, John Woolman refused to wear any clothing that had any color in it, any clothing that had been dyed, because he was afraid that by buying that piece of clothes, he might have been, in, uh, uh, he might have been uh, inadvertently her harming some sailor who transported that dye. Now, it's more complex in today's world. We don't know so much about where our things come from. But my question stands, is there something about your way of living that contributes too largely towards the harm of others? What's wrong in your life that you can set, set right? But I'll warn you, if you never slow down enough to get God's perspective, if you never make room, if your life is too crowded with things, 
you'll inevitably work on the wrong things. You'll work on solving the wrong problems. You'll drive down the wrong road until you've gone down it so far that opportunity is wasted. A few weeks ago, I came across a quote, uh, a quote uh, from someone who wasn't trying to write about the Sabbath, um, uh, Seth Godin. Maybe you follow him online, too. But this is what he said that got my attention. We'll put it on the screen. The empty part of the drawer is what makes it a useful tool. Now, think, sit with that for a second. The empty part of a drawer is what makes it a useful tool. Do any of you have drawers at home that do not have an empty part? <laughs> I do. Do any of you read so many things on the internet, follow so many emails? Do any of you fill every moment with scrolling something on your phone that you have no empty part in this drawer? In this drawer? The empty part of the drawer is what makes it a youth useful tool. You see, Sabbath is what puts us in the right spot. It's what makes room in our hearts for God to call us to something that is truly of use, of truly of good to the world. So rest, slow down, make space in your drawer, and watch how God begins to set things right. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you for Sabbath. Thank you for the simple idea of rest. Lord, too many of us come to you with drawers that are packed full. Packed full of good things, perhaps, but too full to be of use anymore. Oh God, teach us to slow down. Teach us to make room. Teach us to be tools that you can use as you rebuild this world, as you set things right, as you make a new heaven and a new earth in our midst. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.